The conversation continues right now, right now, right now with right now. Dominique De Prima on First Things First. First. 800-920-1580. That's the spot. I call it that red, black, and green carpet where you are always a VIP on these phone lines, regardless of the topic or guest. Call me. Um, so the former president um, taking the stand in that uh, case regarding the business fraud of his uh, organization. He um, has, uh, as usual, talk smack about, you know, the people uh, he, the people um, holding him accountable in court, in this case, uh, New York Attorney General Letitia James. Um, and he um, has been called to the witness stand by her to talk about his own fraud in Manhattan. Now, remember, he's starting off behind the eight ball because the judge already ruled uh, that the organization's financial statements were full of fraud. So what he's trying to do is uh, limit his own culpability, his own liability, just as his not very believable sons did. Well, I don't know. I never saw the financial disclosures just because I'm the CEO. That doesn't mean I should be looking at financial documents for their veracity. <laughs> um, so yeah, possibly a $250 million fine here. Certainly a, um, a real problem for the future of that organization, if it's going to continue at all. And unfortunately, we, I, I, this is rare for me to say, unfortunately, we don't get to see it. Uh, te- it's not, won't be televised. I say, unfortunately, because I just feel like it's going to be full of um, you know, the usual lies, but in a s- situation, in a setting where it could actually lead to some consequences. Um, you know, the new, there's a new poll uh, by the New York Times in Siena, and it is not good news for President Joe Biden. Um, Donald Trump, the guy I like to call he who shall not be named. He's leading President Biden, meaning he's ahead in the polls for the race for president in six states that are considered, you know, battleground, meaning it could go either way. Um, what the polling is showing that people are not happy about the state of the country and they are concerned about his ability to do his job. I have some other thoughts about this and we'll, I'll share them with you. Um, what the New York Times says is that the polling sh- does not show Trump getting stronger. It shows Biden getting weaker. And that is a problem because I feel like the way that the Biden administration is handling the crisis between Israel, Hamas and the Palestinian people is is going to lose them the election. I mean, I hate to say it because I don't want to live through another era of President Trump, but I feel like the way that they are handling this, the tone deaf manner in which the Biden administration is handling, and I get it's a tricky situation. Like every time I crack the mic to talk about, it, I'm like, this could be my last day in radio because we're in this McCarthy era uh, kind of vibe where if you say the wrong thing, you can lose your job, your livelihood, your um, reputation. You could be misconstrued, misquoted, and um, really blacklisted um the fact that the israeli government has so much sway on our government on our discourse as citizens of the united states is quite 
quite, uh, I don't want to say shocking, but it's frustrating. So I, you know, I get that it's not easy for the Biden administration, but I think they are making some major missteps, especially when it comes to the young generation of voters, African-American voters, and the, sh- and the shifting mindsets, the way people get their information. Um, and it's, you know, so, and this, of course, this polling uh, probably doesn't reflect that. But I think if we continue to see the weakening of Biden, even if uh, Trump's numbers start to fray around the edges, which I still believe they will, they are as we get deeper and deeper into these trials and we start seeing and hearing sound bites of Trump lying and such, I think um, it's going to erode the 45th president's support. But if Biden continues to weaken, that will not be enough to stop another Trump presidency. Um, Yeah, we've got more to say about it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, 800-920-1580. But right now I'm going to fix the co, the official unofficial historian of KBLA Talk 1580. Hi, fix the co. Greetings, Madam President, and congratulations on your freedom treatment of Friday concept. The Smithsonian Institution Museum of the American Indian, I'm listed as one-eighth Seminole Indian, one-quarter Seminole Freedman, one-quarter Cherokee Freedman, one-eighth Creek Freedman, and finally, uh, one-quarter African-American white. However, I self-identify as a Seminole Maroon and have for years on your show. In 1910, a sociologist released a paper where they described the four reactions minorities have when they are rejected by a majority. Number one, Minorities report to their own group, return. Number two is called poise. They say, I know who I am. Number three is assimilation, and they try to fit in. The fourth reaction is what I ascribe to. is called transcendence, where we rise above the rejection of others to form our own cultural group. Finally, I celebrate the freedom fighters who won their own freedom, like your dad was a modern-day era freedom fighter. One of my ancestors negotiated Jessup's proclamation that predated the Emancipation Proclamation by 25 years. Both were based on John Quincy Adams' uh, writings, which said a slave may emancipate himself by war. And thank you so much for the Freedman Friday. Mm. Well, thank you, uh, Fixico, for uh, sharing those historical facts about your own life and for understanding that the the purpose of Freedman Fridays, I have some pushback. People are like, there are so many factions within the reparations movement and people are uh, feeling like, you know, maybe I'm taking a side or whatever. Well, you know, I'm always taking sides. But the, the goal of Freedman Fridays is to have a comprehensive reparations conversation where we learn all of the different lines that are out there, the lines of inquiry, the actions that are taking place, the movement uh, on the issue, and what can be done to further the full manifestation of reparations uh, for black Americans. And of course, you know, of course, I'm in support of reparations from the Jamaican government for Jamaicans and on and on it goes. But that to me is, or I should say from the British government to Jamaicans and on and on it goes. But the point is that I want to focus our conversation on reparations. I want to 
laser this momentum so we can continue to level up and not say, okay, your California report is done or okay, the polling says, you know, people don't support this, so we're going to leave it. No, we've worked too hard. We've come too far. We have seen the raising of consciousness in ways that uh, is only the beginning. So that is the purpose of it. We're going to do it Friday, every Friday, second hour of the show. Uh, so if you got something to say about reparations, if you were mad about what I said last week or you're celebrating something someone else said, you know, tap in, tap in. We And if there's any confusion for those who were confused, yes, we are taking calls. Freedman Friday is meant to be a lively and comprehensive reparations conversation. Every week, right here, Appointment Radio, you find it, you join it, you can get on the chat, you can get on the phone, and we keep the conversations going on social media before and after. You can find us at KBLA 1580. You can find me at Deprima Radio, Z-I-P-R-I-M-A, and then radio. Um, yeah, so... You know, that's that's what we're doing, and that's the purpose of it. We're going to go to Fahima calling us from Washington, D.C. Good morning, Queen. Hadara Ghani and K. Pasa, Dominique. How are you today, my sister? I'm blessed. How be you? As Tavis would say, if I were to complain, I'd be an ingrate. Um, one thing, I'm going to send you some information. I'm going to email it to you from Scott Ritter, a presentation that uh, he did. You remember, he was the former weapons instructor, weapons inspector for the UN, and he had contended that the uh, th- this that uh, Iraq didn't have any weapons of mass destruction. Uh, I'm going to send. I'm going to send. I know I normally send you articles, but I'm going to send you a presentation Scott Ritter did. He it's, it's quite telling. Now I want to preface my comments because I want to talk about reparations very briefly. I want to preface my comments to say that I was the co founder of the Howard University chapter of Cobra, and it was at it was at the time when the UN Conference Against Racism went took place and uh and Kichi Taifa worked along with Charles Ogletree and the late Johnny Cochran because she they were part of the legal um part of Cobra. Now that being said, the two brothers I didn't realize until the second brother who called in, remember the second brother who called in and asked to be part of the discussion? Right. The, I yeah, had I Rashid Littlejohn on as a guest, and then right. uh, we had a caller from, uh, right. yeah, yeah, of course yeah. I remember from a Freedman, Freedman yeah. organization. It's called Freedman or uh, United Freedmen or something. I, I don't have it uh, in front of me, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. And on Twitter spaces with both of these guys, um, you know, Twitter has these Twitter spaces. I've been on, and with this guy named Marcel. Um, I mean, that was just a participant. Oh, it's the U- U.S. Freedman Project. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, and I saw that they were on Twitter spaces going at it uh, after yeah. the show. Yeah. Yes, I've been on just listening. This guy named Marcel who ran, who was running um, against uh, the guy in, tr- in South Carolina. Um, let me just say, and I said this before, Dominique, and I, th- I sent you receipts. The Freedman groups are splinters from A. DOS. They have broken off and they started these other groups. I don't know if you got the information I sent you about a group out of Colorado because they're speaking the same rhetoric. They're anti-immigrant. And I don't know of any uh, black person from the Caribbean that said that they wanted America's reparations. When Queen Elizabeth passed away, they were uh, charging all of the colleagues rose up and they were pulling, um, taking Britain to task. 
I don't know of any uh, person from Africa, the Caribbean, that's saying we want the reparations from the United States. Um, these folks, as I said before, um, they are a splinter group that are offshoots of ADOS. Um, and they're anti-immigrant. I don't know why they're pushing this stuff around around immigrants. It really is not necessary. Cause, and I don't want to keep repeating myself. The other thing I wanted to say is, because I know that many of them come and they have been disrupting the, uh, not the Freedmen people, but the, the ADOS and the FBA people have been disrupting the rep- so many of the reparations meetings, uh, saying that we wanted lineage and what have you. But if you look around the country, in each instance where reparations have been given uh, in Everson, Illinois, people who were discriminated against in terms of housing. If you look at Georgetown, when they sold the ancestors of these folks and then they're providing legacy scholarships to the descendants. And there's a town, there's a county in Virginia when Brown versus the Board of Education occurred, they closed the schools so that black people couldn't be educated. Right. And so if, if I'm entitled to and California wasn't even a slave state. So why OK, hold that thought for him. I've got news, traffic and sports and uh, let you uh, land on the other side on KBLA Talk 1580. Say the quiet part out loud. KBLA Talk 1580. We know you stick around. This is L.A.'s home for progressive talk radio. Welcome back to KBLA Talk 1580. Welcome back indeed, uh, Fahima, who is a regular part of our KBLA delegation, calling from D.C. and got on the conversation about reparations because of the launch of Freedman Fridays. Now, uh, you're talking, Fahima, about how you consider the Freedman groups to be splinters of ADOS. And, and when I say a comprehensive reparations conversation, I am asking all comers to get in the convo. I'm asking ADOS and Friedman and FBA and FBI, and well, maybe not the FBI, uh, and uh, and COBRA and, um, you know, all of the folks that are talking, moving, working on reparations. Now, we know that there are people within the movement that are probably not within the movement whose aims and goals are really more obstruction and, um you know, and confusion than anything else. But to me, you know, putting this in a in a space where everybody can talk about it and where we can listen to what they have to say, compare, contrast, find out who is aligned with whom and what is being done. To me, that is what's needed. It also makes people have a better understanding. When I say Friedman Fridays, it's not because I'm trying to um, align myself with Eidos or align myself with uh, Tariq Nasheed or Cobra or, you know, Ron Daniels or anyone else. It's because I want to create a space where that conversation is happening. Uh, yes, I like the alliteration, but also... If you ta- look at the concept of Friedman, it's not a group per se. It is, um, you know, what many were referred to after the uh, Civil War when we were supposedly freed, when we were supposedly emancipated. So that's where it's coming from. It predates anybody's group or their um, their clique, their, their line. Uh, and I think, I believe that there is a lot to be learned from most everybody who's in the space, because there's great work being done, uh, incredible organizing and progress 
is being made. But uh, Fahima, you were in the middle of a point. You had been talking about many of the places where uh, where reparations have actually manifested in specific ways, Georgetown, Evanston, uh, this uh, city in Virginia that you mentioned. Um, and I'm going to hand the mic back to you to let you go on and, and you know, complete your thought. Yes, just two other points. And, and first off, I was not making, I didn't have a critique of you having them on um, or you calling it Freedman's Friday. It was just that it was something that I had discovered that I had been on with Marcel Dixon and those two other guys in their Twitter space. But anyway, um, the the thing is, is that I think, uh, for example, as I said, California was not a slave state, right? So if, let's say, someone is going to get reparations because they their properties were taken from them through eminent domain, why would they have to show that uh, their ancestors were on the 1870 census? The thing is, these are things that are disruptive and unnecessary. Now, if the U.S. was going to give reparations for people who were descendants of slaves, that would be a different thing altogether. Um, uh, Harvard and Columbia University has put together $100 million to deal with the issues of reparations, okay? And so uh, this, I, I think a lot of this stuff, now maybe the people who are following, maybe they don't understand, but the people that founded these groups, they are they they are not interested in reparations. The people that are following them may very well be. And I think our focus should be on how to fund. We should come up with creative ways on how to fund reparations. We should be looking at that. You mean the movement because the the funding for the actual reparation comes from the offending party. No, no. But what I'm saying is, what I'm yes, that's true. Like Harvard has put together an endowment. We should be, and and they decided that they would use revenues from marijuana sales in Evanston, Illinois. I think that it would be better time would be spent to come up with proposals on how these funding can be done. Then people won't be saying, "Well, I don't want my tax money." Yeah, but why? That. But 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 their tax money should pay. I mean, to me, it's both and Fahima. I think it's I think it's great for Georgetown to specifically, um, mm-hmm. you know give restitution to the descendants of the people they actually sold. Mm -hmm. They actually sold to keep their Mm -hmm. university afloat. At the same time, that doesn't mean, you know, folks shouldn't quest for uh, federal reparations. Um, It it, it can and should happen on all levels. And I think that, you know, honestly... I don't know. Who, I don't. It's, I don't know the intentions of every group. Um, I, I suppose there are leaders that probably. I'm sure there are that are you know just right wing tools that just want to undermine everything, or left wing tools or idiots. But I want to hear what folks are talking about. I want to know what they're doing. I want to give them a platform so that we can pick and choose where we want to throw our support, our time, our you know even our dollars um, in this fight. Okay, Bob Brown, who was a aide in confidence to the late Kwame Torre, he had filed a lawsuit, and he was going after insurance companies because there were insurance companies who uh, provided insurance for the that that precious cargo that were us. I think that you know spending time on who should get it and how people should prove prove their uh, eligibility is futile. We should be focusing on getting 
the people that owe the entities that owe us, like the insurance companies. A lot of these countries that have been around for hundreds of years, they they were part of the the uh, participated in the transatlantic slave trade. And also, we should be looking. And I'm gonna say it's our responsibility. But there's nothing wrong with when they made the uh, when the California came up with their um, proposals on how much to come up with a suggestion and how it's funded. There's nothing wrong. I don't think anything is wrong with that. And I know it's incumbent on the guilty party. But I think we're spending too much time uh, looking at how people should be excluded and how people should prove that they're entitled to it. So I'm, I'm going to stop there. Um, but thank you for the opportunity um, to share uh, my perspective and Interestingly, I came behind Brother Fixico, and I'm waiting for him to write his book, which should be a movie. Yeah, absolutely. It should be a movie. All right, Fahima, I appreciate the conversation. I hope you'll call one of these Freedman Fridays, mix it up with some of these folks. I intend to have every corner of the movement, uh, those, you know, those that I am in agreement with, those that I'm not, or those that I don't know, or maybe a lot where it's some of both, because we need to understand reparations. What's happening? How do we keep this momentum going? And I agree with you that fighting within factions or splitting hairs is probably not the most productive thing. But there's also people that are working on how do we not get this thrown out? How does this hold up in court? How our extreme court? Um, And I believe, you know, when you're talking about private industry, yeah, like the insurance companies, which play a huge role and profit tremendously. Insurance companies in Europe, insurance companies here in the United States, worldwide, that profited off of the (laughs) the buying and selling of our ancestors. Yes, absolutely. And I, I remember that case. I did talk to Charles Ogletree uh, on uh, when I used to do front page the early days um, and, you know, others when I used to do uh, street science. Been talking about this reparations thing for HEMA for so long. And I feel like I've seen more progress in the past five years than in prior decades. So with this platform, I intend to do everything I can to keep that progress going, whether it is creating and continuing to build the momentum in terms of public support, whether it is educating myself and us, each other, about who's doing what and what is working uh, and what, what, you know, what the intellectual con, uh, conversation really is, what is the discourse. And also in terms of you know, making it plain where people stand by letting them tell you who they are and what they're doing. I think it's also a place for us to ideate, uh, to spar, because many times when we spar, we stimulate our gray matter and we make ourselves uh, even more wise because we have to defend our own perspective, our own talking points. Why do I say that? And am I right? And how can I prove that I'm right? That is the genesis of Friedman Fridays. And I hope agree, disagree, you know, left, right, center, uh, pro-immigrant, anti-immigrant, wherever you are on the spectrum, MAGA or, you know, BLM, wherever you might be, let's, let's talk about it. Let's unpack it. Let's Shine the light, shine the light and elevate 
amplify the discourse. I'm Dominique DePrima for KBLA Talk 1580. She's reclaiming her time on KBLA Talk 1580. More First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. Ancestors' favorite radio station, radio station, and your favorite morning show host. Let's get back to Dominique DePrima right now. Right now. By the way, uh, back to Biden. I know um, among the KBLA delegation, Molly Bella, straight out of Compton, is probably the biggest Biden supporter we have. Uh, she also supported him on front page and wherever, whatever other platform she's talking about. And Molly Bell's in the chat on YouTube at kbla1580.com. She says Biden is going to win. Um, and she points out something I've said, and I and I do agree with, which is that um, part of the part of the slippage or the anti-Biden sentiment comes from the fact that Biden is old and his vice president is a black woman. So people know that when he makes his transition, there will be a black woman president. Specifically, Kamala Harris, who has been subjected to an incredible smear campaign in the press and especially online. And I think that anti-blackness, anti-black womanness and uh, the aversion to Vice President Kamala Harris is part of what's driving the slippage for Biden. I agree with that. But I do think that the handling by this administration of the conflict between Israel and Hamas, of which the Palestinian people are taking the brunt, is problematic. I think they are out of touch with the American public, especially the young voters and black people. I do. And, I, you know, I know that Biden and Harris have plenty of black friends. I know they've done great things for black America. But right now, people are hurting because of the because of inflation. And I get that the economy is actually in pretty good shape. Jobs reports look good. But when you go to the store and your paycheck buys less than it did before, people don't like that. They're not going to like it, no matter what the numbers say. And then on top of that, you're talking about sending $12 billion to Israel to um, fund their uh, fight against Hamas, which, you know, there's so many things about that. Number one, um, it's very reminiscent of the U.S. and Afghanistan. We're going to eradicate the Taliban. How'd that work out for us? You know, one, two, three, twelve trillion dollars later. How'd that work out for us? And imagine if we would have killed the number of people that uh, Israel is killing right now in Gaza. Um, there, it's. <laughs> They're underestimating the a revulsion of the American public toward that, and the and the empathy, you know, of the world towards the Palestinian people, and I think they're doing it in a way, you know, you want to spend twelve billion, but you just said, and I, and I get this wasn't the Biden administration's fault; it was Republicans plus Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema that said. Uh, no to feeding American children through the U.S. tax credit, <clears throat> which threw 4 million American children back into poverty immediately in 2023. But now you're saying we've got you know, $12 billion for Israel, $7 billion for Taiwan, and whatever it is, like $70 billion for Ukraine. 
And it is back to two pockets. It is back to you've got money for war but can't feed the poor. I don't have to be an international scholar of geopolitics to understand that. You've got money for war but can't feed the poor. I think the old orientation and talking points are not working the way they used to. And we'll cover that tomorrow on Talking Point Tuesday. You know, because people are just, people are getting information from a lot of different sources, some of it right, some of it wrong. People are also tired. And I think for me, I, I see it on social media, but I, I feel it in my own heart. The way that the Biden administration is handling this crisis is making people, black people, poor people, Muslim people, and many humanitarians just less likely to vote Biden in 2024. I think they're seeing it. I think they're starting to try to turn it around, but it may be too little too late. It's KBLA Talk 1580. Heard any other talk radio lately that sounds anything like this? We didn't think so. You're listening to Unapologetically Progressive KBLA Talk 1580. And I'm so glad you're here. It's a perfect time, as usual, to call me 800-920-1580. 800-920-1580. Started out talking about how President Biden is now trailing Donald Trump in five of the six biggest battleground states, those states that can go either way, that can tip the balance of the election. We are a year out. A lot can happen in a year. I get that. But part of the reason it worries me is because it's part, it, it tracks with what I've been feeling. It tracks with what I've been hearing, what I have been reading. Um, and the thing is, there are so many different areas. Reparations, one of them. You know, Biden said he had black people's backs, and I believe he has had our backs in many areas. And that I may be, I may differ in that uh, assessment than you know some other progressives. I think when you crunch the numbers and look at the actual policies, yeah, it's true. But there's always the moment of now. And the moment of now is Palestine and Israel. The moment of now is how much does it cost me for a dozen eggs when I go to the store now? And has my check adjusted enough to keep up with that? The moment of now is, um, you know, how black migrants are being treated, those Haitians or, um, you know, Africans. The moment of now is um, how are you addressing the rise in white supremacy. You know, a lot of people are stuck on the Asian hate crimes bill because you named it that. That's what you decided to name it, Mr. Biden. Well, I'm a person who knows that that hate crimes bill just funds departments in cities, counties, and states that fight hate crimes, and it helps everyone who's a victim of a hate crime. But because you named it that, and because of the way the internet works, people have it stuck in their heads that that only helps Asians, it doesn't help us. Well, that's a problem. And I feel like the way that the administration is now responding to this, these international crises, and, and we'll talk more uh, next hour with Dr. Lagoke about how, you know, how Africa 
figures into this. And then on top of that, you've got the war in Ukraine where you have African nations that are not in lockstep step with the United States. And many in the United States, you talk about strange bedfellows, you've got Republicans uh, for their own terrible reasons, opposing more funding uh, in Ukraine and some on the left who are saying, you know what, they don't get a blank check. And I put myself in that category because I do think we need to stand with Ukraine and help them fight for their sovereignty, uh, but not with a blank check, not while American children are starving, not while you're cutting programs uh, that help children succeed in life and in school. And on top of that, you know, the, we, we are not seeing the kind of robust reaction to the rise in white supremacy and calling a spade a spade in terms of the fact that it is the truth and it always has been the truth that black Americans are the most frequent targets of white supremacy. White supremacists hate attacks, right? And that that is, since that seems to be the default, you find it unremarkable as news organizations or government bodies. And that's a problem because that doesn't feel like you having our back. I understand that there's been a huge rise in the number of, you know, Islamophobic and anti-Semitic attacks. I understand there's been a huge rise in the number of anti-AAPI, Asian Pacific attacks. It's because they start from a smaller number and they jump. But why is it, and that's terrible and not okay, but why is it okay that black people continue to be the number one targets and victims, and why is that not addressed? This is my little Monday morning wake-up call to the Biden administration. We're going uh, global when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580.